you know what a flight plan is? For a pilot, a, a flight plan is the, uh, his, it's what he files with the Federal Aviation Administration prior to his flight or her flight, letting them know uh, their destination, um, so their planned route, or where they're going to go along the way. And, and so last week we began a new series um, called Spirit Life. And we're talking about positioning ourselves ultimately to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. Last week we looked at the need for a plane to be uh, uh, well-fueled and well-maintained in order not to you know, fall out of the sky, right? That's, how many think that's important when you're flying on a plane, right? I want that thing to be well-maintained. I want it to have enough fuel to get to its destination. And um, so we compared that to us maintaining our lives in the presence of God, maintaining our lives in the Word of God, and uh, you know, keeping ourselves in the presence of God so that we can walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And again, last week's big idea was that you have to position yourself to, inf to, to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit, that living under the influence of the Holy Spirit will not happen by accident. No one accidentally walks in the spirit. Once we say yes to Jesus Christ, we have to be intentional. And as much as a, I used the analogy last week of if before Christ, you're like a car parked at the end of the runway. In other words, a car is a vehicle that's not made to fly, right? And that car should suddenly get born again and turned into an airplane. Just because it got turned into an airplane doesn't mean it's flying yet. It has to be intentional. The pilot has to be intentional about doing all the things that are necessary to move that plane down the runway into the air. And so last week's message, we began to look at the idea of the need to position ourselves um, to, to, to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. But, but let me ask you a question, and, and this is where we're going today. Being influenced by the Holy Spirit, where's this all headed? Like, wh where's it all going? What happens if I live my life mostly surrendered to the leadership of Jesus Christ, letting him influence me by his Spirit and, 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 and lead my decision? And, and what happens if I break off the influences of the, the spirit of the age and the a worldly spirit and the, the hateful and hurtful spirit that we see so much today in our social media posts when you just go to a store or something and just the, just the energy, I can almost feel like just the, ugh. If you say, well, I'm not the kind of person who's gonna be hurtful or hateful. No, you're the one becoming depressed by everybody else who's hurtful and hateful. And it has to do with we're positioning ourselves and what's influencing our mind, our soul, basically. What's influencing our inner man? And so I want to talk to you today. I want to talk to you for a minute about where this is all headed. You know, Paul the Apostle uh, says in 2 Corinthians that all of us someday, whether good or bad, are going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Now, depending upon the tradition of church you grew up in, the judgment seat can conjure up tremendously fearful ideas. You have this idea of a God who's always wanting to strike you down and can't wait to banish people to hell. Listen, he's all powerful. And like, if he wanted to do that, he has no problem doing that. He'd just go, you're all dead. We all fall over. And he can just send us wherever he wants to. He's God Almighty. I don't, I don't think that's his intention. I don't think the judgment seat of Christ, I don't think judgment day is meant to be a bad day, especially not for the church of Jesus Christ. It will be for some, those who rejected him, most certainly. But I want to talk to you for a moment about what you're going to see on that day. And then I want to talk to you for a second about what Jesus wants to see in you before I get into the rest of this. So in Revelation, 
Revelation, the book of Revelation is, is one of the apostles that Jesus had trained, a man named John. The one, if you read your Bible, in the, in the Gospels, put his head on Jesus' chest at the meal. In other words, they had a very an extremely close friendship. Uh, and, and, and so John knew Jesus. John gets caught up into this heavenly scene. He's a door standing open in heaven, and there's a voice that calls out and says, come up here. And he's instantly transported into the spirit. He says, immediately I was in the spirit. But when that happened, in that moment, the Bible says he saw Jesus and he heard a voice that sounded like the voice of many waters. And he had this experience that, that caused him to fall down at Jesus' feet as if he were dead. Like he had no strength left in him because of the glorious presence of Jesus Christ. Here's what it says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. Here's how he describes him. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. This is Jesus' friend. Ezekiel well before John, many, 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 many generations, like a thousand plus years before John the Revelator, this prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter eight describes him like this in verse two. Then I looked and there was a likeness like the appearance of fire from the appearance of his waist and, and downward fire and from his waist and upward like the appearance of brightness, like the color of amber. Daniel describes him this way in Daniel chapter seven, another prophet. Verse 9 and 10, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days, another name for God, was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. See, it sounds like the one that John saw, right? His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were open. Then Daniel chapter 10, later he says this in verse 5. I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Later, when John gets into Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, he unpacks that very scene. Every one of them had a common experience with God when they saw him. Those who have seen the Lord in, the, in a prophetic experience have this common experience. They see a burning one seated on the throne. One whose strength, his face is like the sun. One in whom the angels and seraphim and cherubim and all these created beings are flying around. In fact, seraphim means burning ones, and they're the ones that have six wings, like in Isaiah chapter six, which I didn't even talk about, his picture of the Lord here, and the worship in heaven, they're going holy and worthy and glory, and heaven thunders, and it shakes from the voices of the worshipers. I don't get excited about worship like you worship this morning, because it's loud and you guys are in getting into it and it makes the team feel better. I could care less about that. I care when you get excited about worship because I'm starting to believe that you're having a revelation about the worth of the one who died for you and rose again, who's seated on the throne, whom you're gonna see one day. 
And you're gonna see this, you're gonna see him. And there's this scene around the throne. Daniel describes heavens on fire. Like heaven's gonna be boring. No, man, heaven's light, lightning, sounds, thunder, voices, music, fire. It's a party. And Jesus is, is the center of that party. He's being worshiped night and day, and you are not even remotely bored. You have never been more electrified in your life. The tangibility of heaven with lightning and that reality, heaven is an electrical place. You're going to feel energy, life-giving energy that you can tangibly feel vibrating every part of your being, bringing you in synchronicity with the Holy One on the throne. There is, you, you are absolutely gonna be riveted by heaven. Where's all this walking in the spirit stuff going? Where's all this spirit life going? Where's all this being influenced by the Holy Spirit going? It's going right there. I can't wait to get there. At the judgment seat of Christ, what's Jesus judging? I've heard a lot of different opinions. I believe what the Bible says he's looking for, he's looking for himself inside of us. He's looking for that fiery, holy nature has been working throughout our life as a believer, as you walk this life, the consuming fire of a holy God is burning inside of you, conforming you to his image, purifying out things that don't belong there. So at the end, he sees, he looks into you and it's like looking into a mirror and he sees himself. Does he see himself when he sees you? Does he see himself when he sees me? The Bible tells us that God calls us in a simple phrase, be holy as I am holy. He's not commanding us to do something that's contrary to our new nature. He's commanding us to get an agreement about what that new nature is doing. And it's totally in alignment with Listen, it will totally satisfy you. If the, and I want to say this, you know, um, the reason I did this message, you know, we, we introduced the Holy Spirit in our previous series, and we started talking about living under the influence of the Holy Spirit in this one. I meet believers, I meet people who say they're born again, they walk in the Spirit, they're filled with the Spirit, but their lives are, rat, they're just not, they're unchanged. They're comfortable uh, living in, in out of covenant in sexual relationships with their girlfriend or boyfriend and, and they have no problem. I, I think God's okay with that. Then you're not encountering God. Who are you to judge me? I'm not. The Bible's already spoken. Christ has already spoken. The Holy Spirit is already speaking inside each one of us. He, he brings us into alignment with himself. Why? He's holy. In fact, I would go, go as far as to say this. When people say, uh, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, I said, you need to realize if we were, I mean this tongue in cheek, but his first name is holy. He's Holy Spirit, not spirit. Not any kind of spirit. Not worldly spirit. He's the Holy 
spirit. So if, if Jesus, when introducing the spirit of God to us, because he, he did call him the spirit of God sometimes, but the most common name that the apostles and Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit is, is the Holy Spirit, I think because they were trying to denote, here's the big idea, God's working holiness in your life. Now, we need to understand what that is because for some sects or groups of people, holiness is about the way you dress, it's about a certain way you look, it's about a manner of speech, well, I don't have any problem with those being fruits of holiness work in your life. They're not the starting spot. Last week, I told you about a, a prophetic minister. When I was a young man, I'd never experienced prophetic ministry before. And I had this man, I was at a small church, a Calvary Chapel down in, in uh, Arlington, Texas. Probably seat 50 people. But when this guy came, they'd stuff 100 people in this room. I know they were breaking fire code laws, I'm sure of it. And so, uh, but this guy, his name is Bill Roycroft. He was a man from Canada. He looked at me and he said, the spirit of the Lord says to you that you've been concerned about getting all the bad fruit off the tree. And he painted, he was very visual. I'm, I'm doing no justice. And it's, you know, it's like a 30 year old prophecy. So I got to pull it up my head. But he said, it was went along something along these lines. You're trying to pull all the bad fruit off the tree. But the spirit of the Lord says to you, He's less concerned about what's happening in the fruit of your life as he is in what's happening in the roots of your life. And if you will invest your energy in the roots of your life, the fruit of your life will change. But a lot of us think holiness is running around pulling the bad fruit off the tree of our life, trying to hide it from the other Christians or other people that we think are gonna judge us when what we ought to be concerned about is Jesus seeing him on that day and him looking into us and not seeing himself. I'm most concerned about that. And when I present myself to Jesus and say, I want you to go to the inner part of who I am and transform me by your Holy Spirit, I believe that pleases the Lord. Um, last week, I began to talk to you. Some of you have been around this, a long journey with me from the Gateway House of Prayer days to the Lifeway Church days. But I, I tell an analogy over and over again about my first time experiencing a coal furnace, and, and, and setting that. And I could go through the whole process of setting that up, but I don't want to do that for this. I'll do that another day when we talk more about processes. But I remember when the coal fire started going and, and the rocks began to burn, the black, previously black, cold, hard rocks were burning on fire. This Texas boy had no, did not know what to do with burning rocks. I didn't even know rocks could burn. I said, didn't you have... Charcoal stuff, yeah, but charcoal, that's fake stuff. That's like pressed together. I mean, of course that will burn, but, but this is a rock. I don't even know if there's air getting through those anthracite, if, there's, if, if air can even get through it. How, I don't know how tight the molecular structure of it is. But having a coal stove, what I learned is, is that when you set something in a fire long enough, it begins to burn. And it doesn't matter how cold you are. It doesn't matter how dark or black you are. It doesn't matter how hard you are, the consuming fire of God's nature, if you'll put yourself in his presence long enough, you will change. And I wanna get real specific this week about what you're gonna change to become like. Actually, before I do that, I'm just trying to imagine, listen, can you imagine the first time somebody decided to try this out? Hey, Billy Bob. Yeah, Jimmy. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I'm gonna burn this rock. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard you say. You know, I mean, I don't know how that conversation went. I don't know, I don't know. But I, I almost think God likes the beauty of the impossibility of that to say, when you feel like it's impossible for him to change you, 
that something that seems so ridiculous becomes possible. Have you ever, think of somebody you know, you think that person, they could never be saved. I mean, God, they're so evil, they're so hard, they're so whatever, and I say that God's bigger than that. The God who causes earthly fire to burn earthly rocks can take a supernatural fire and ignite it in the hardest, darkest heart. What I love about the thing about a coal fire is, and what's interesting, is where the rock starts is not where it finishes. In fact, through the process, that rock begins to take on the very nature of what's burning in it, of what it's burning in. And I wanna say to you that when you begin to set your life in the presence of God, you too will begin to take on the nature of the consuming fiery nature of God. And so let me ask you a question. What's the fire that is burning in your life? What are you becoming like? Because that's how we tell. I'm not saying you're not in the process, but if, I'm, if I've said yes to Jesus and I'm still as mean as I was 30 years ago when I said yes, I probably need to roll over on the fire somewhere and let something else get burned, right? I need to present another part of me to the Lord. And as we live under the influence of the Holy Spirit, listen, we become like the Holy Spirit. We begin to take on the very nature of him who's burning inside of us, and that nature is holy. And so today I wanna talk to you about the process of being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says this. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil, the thing that's kept them from seeing God's taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom or there's liberty. And so all of us who have had that veil removed, we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. He's writing us as if that's his intention for your life. And the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Right, so somewhere, somewhere between that beholding, beholding is in a mirror of the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image we are becoming something, right? Somewhere between beholding, somewhere between becoming is a process. Now, beholding is the process, but there's a process to behold, if I could put it that way. And I'll, I'll talk about that here in a second. But um, if, if holiness, if becoming like God, if Jesus Christ, being conform, like there's another passage that says, God's predestined you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. If becoming like him is the high bar in our life, then grace is the pole vault that you plant to get over it. But listen, you have to run with the pole vault. You have to plant the pole vault and the pole vault will carry you over. There's this mindset in the modern church that God's just doing the whole process and there's, there's grace and I don't have to do anything. Yeah, well then if, if that's true and you're still stuck in, in a lot of stuff after 20, 30 years, if it were me, I'd be blaming God for that but you can't blame God for that because the Bible says we receive grace through faith and faith is where I say, I believe that God has put something in my hand that if I run at the goal and I plant myself and kick my feet up in the air and, and let that thing spring me up, grace is gonna throw me over that high bar of holiness. Does that make sense? And it's partnership. 
Could you imagine a coach trying to tell a pole vaulter like, he's just standing there holding the thing. I don't know why this thing's not taking me over. He's like, you gotta run with it, crazy. You gotta plant it. It'd be like the plane sitting at the end of the runway. I don't know why I'm not flying that because you have to engage your engines. You have to make sure you're fueled and maintained and then engage your engines and do all the process that caused the law of aer- laws of aerodynamics to lift you up. You just have your part. That's all I'm saying. So here's the question I have for you. You know, the, the, the Bible says the bride has made herself ready. We're gonna look at that passage at the end of the message, but the bride was referring to the church. And John, the revelator, he sees in that book of Revelation, at the beginning he sees Jesus on the throne, then he sees the bride later, and he says, like this bride, this, this church has prepared herself for Jesus. In other words, grace makes you want to get ready. And when I meet people who say, I don't wanna change, I'm like, you don't have grace working in your life, I don't believe you. I'm not angry. I'm passionate that you get the real thing. I don't want you to have religion that leaves you empty. I want you to have a relationship that's transforming. That's what God wants for you. Going back to the flight plan then, if you're the pilot and you're piloting your life, what's your flight plan? We now know the destination. It's becoming like Christ. But what's your route to get to that destination? I'm gonna offer you three things today that I think will be helpful. They're very simple. And I think if you'll just do them, I, I wish, listen, can I just be your pastor for a moment, even if this is your normal church? Don't just hear stuff and not do it. The Bible's so clear that's a bad way to live. To keep, to keep hearing, they, the Bible, there's a place where, God, where Paul the apostle rebukes a generation of people who have a form of godliness but they have no power. They have no transforming power in their life. And he says this, they're always learning. Like they show up to church and they listen and they hear the messages, they're always learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. What's his point? He says, in a different place, you will know the truth. Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you or make you free. So if we're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, that's the reason we're not finding freedom. But I think a lot of the reason we're not finding freedom, we're not experiencing the truth because we're not simply, we're just not doing it. So just, just do it. Here's the first thing. One, behold. Remember, beholding is in a mirror of the glory of the Lord. Behold, position yourself to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to a place where you were trying to watch something and you had, you had a visual impairment. When my son graduated from Air Force boot camp, I wanted to see the parade and I wanted to see him come by and I wanted to see my son. I wanted to capture, capture that picture and uh, to capture that, I had to move like different bleachers in different position to different position to see where he was at. Have you ever been something like that? Maybe you went to a concert where you wanted to see a better angle or a parade where you wanted to see something. You had to adjust your position. Why? To get a different perspective or a different view. There was a man in uh, Jesus' day, a man named Zacchaeus. He was not well known for being a holy guy. He was a tax collector and Jews hated tax collectors. Shoot, we hate tax collectors today, right? I mean... We don't hate them in the sense, well, I want them to go to heaven and all, but I mean, I don't really like them, if you know what I'm saying. And Zacchaeus, this, this tax collector, he had a desire, and he's heard that Jesus was coming by, and his, his entourage was going to come by, and so he climbed up in a tree, because he said, the Bible says he was a short man. I don't know anything about that. He was a short man. He climbed up in a tree and he, to, to get a better position so he could see Jesus, and the beauty of it was, 
A man who thought he was unworthy of encountering Jesus because he had a desire to see Jesus and put himself, listen, in a position to see Jesus caused Jesus to act and say, hey, Zacchaeus, you that guy up in the tree right there? I know you, I see you. You know what? I'm coming to your house today. And maybe wherever you're at, if you feel like, I'm talking to you about becoming like Christ, I'm talking about fire, and you're like, no man, I get coal, I get black, cold, hard. I can't imagine Jesus wanting to come to my house. All that it took for, for Jesus to come to this man's house was that he had a desire to find God, desire to find Jesus, put himself in a position to find Jesus and let Jesus do the rest. Hello? Beholding the Lord is like that. And so what if in the midst of your weakness and sin, out of a desire to change, you changed your position? and you position yourself to get influenced by the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is not complicated, to behold. So I say you need a flight plan, you need to behold. Well, you need to have a plan to behold. Like you need to set a time. Where are you going to, like set a time. When am I going to behold? Set a place, where am I going to behold? Remove distractions. What's keeping you in your environment from beholding the Lord? And then seek his face. Set a time, set a place, remove distractions. Seek his face. I have people tell me all the time, I just, I can't do that. Hey, we created core discipleship intensive to help you do that. It's like, I can go to Planet Fitness or you can go to, a, you know, I mean, I like Planet Fitness. I go there because it's cheap, but uh, maybe you don't like that. And you're like, I'm a hardcore gym. I'm like CrossFit. Okay, that's cool. Um, or some other gym, but gyms are designed, if the church was a gym, then this is the, you know, free, free, free workout, whatever. Like you just come in and do whatever you want, however you want. You worship however you want. You, you hear the messages, you take whatever advice you want. That's, this is kind of kind of the uh, low, low, you know, low workout as it were. It's the easy workout. And then you can hire, but there's another way if you want to get fit. If you're not having struggle getting it done, then you can hire a personal trainer and they will there be there to coach you personally. That's what core discipleship intensive is to your spiritual journey. It's like having a personal trainer to help you grow in God. And this fall, we're going to launch another one. And, and the core disciples that have already gone through it will tell you, it's, it's transforming. Not because we are that good, it's because the process just works. When you set yourself to behold the Lord, when you, when you uh, move into a place of, of seeking God in prayer and in, in, in worship and in the word and fasting and waiting on the Lord and removing uh, just ungodly influences from your life, it just has an impact. I talked a little bit more about that last week, but set a time, set a place, remove distractions. Another way we say it is we use the acronym SEER, see stand, engage, encounter, respond. You stand, you put yourself before the Lord. You engage him at a heart level. He does the encounter like Jesus did with Zacchaeus. And then he responds. Zacchaeus came out of the tree and he went and opened up his house. And, and in fact, there's more repentance that happened at his house where he restored money that he had taken from people unjustly and, and, and gave back more than he took because he was trying to say, I'm I'm wanting to change. And Jesus said, declared it, that your kingdom of God has come to this house today. Salvation has come to this house today and it can come to yours, but you got to set yourself to behold. My personal story, you know, I, I lived a life of um, sexual immorality, party lifestyle. My parents, I came from a broken home. Um, and and that, that had its impact on me. I joined the United States Marine Corps and, um, 
and that definitely accelerated my party lifestyle, no doubt about it. Um, but it also was where I began to get a hunger and an awakening in my heart for God and a desire to, I, I, you know, I, I prayed a prayer when I was eight years old, but I didn't change. I know some of you know what I'm talking about. But at 20, something woke up in me and said, there's got to be more. And so I, without making a, long, a really lengthy process, I began to sit for about 10 days doing the things I'm talking about, setting a time, setting a place, removing distractions, seeking his face. I began to stand. I began to engage in word and prayer and mostly a lot of just silence and focusing on God and listening, saying, I'm here. I'm presenting myself to you. Do what you do. Do that miracle you do in the human heart. In about 10 days, I did this. Maybe 20 hours of seeking God. Okay, again, remember, if you lived a lifestyle of hour, I, I had, I clocked thousands of hours in sin. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Thank you for letting me get this off my chest. I've been needing to do this for such a long time. I know the rest of you are so holy and don't even need this message. Okay. I, I, so I had, I had thousands of hours in sin. So 20 hours of seeking God wasn't much, but let me tell you what happened. After those 10 days, by the end of that 10 days, I could not stand my former self. And it wasn't like some kind of um, depressive self-hatred thing. It was a belief that I was made for more that was happening every day I would seek God. He would elevate the vision of what he made me to be. And it was so much great. I couldn't even believe half the stuff I would sense and hear and, and feel in my spirit. And I was begging God to transform me into his new nature so I could, that I could feel growing inside of me. I started caring about my, my sins. I started uh, feeling bad when I hurt others. I, I got convicted about the way I spoke and communicated. Um, I, at one point, got, I got convicted about the way I dressed and, and you know, whatever. I, you know, we always, people will pick on how girls dress. You know, guys can dress to impress in the wrong way also. And... Um, and so I got convicted about just immoral things in my heart. I, I, wanted, I began to want to tell others about Jesus Christ, and I cared about what I watched on TV and, I, and what I listened to in my music and movies. Listen, I did that all without anyone telling me I needed to do that stuff. No one had to tell me to change it. No one had to get judgy. No one had to get up in my grill. No, the Holy Spirit was on the inside saying, you don't want to be that. I've got something better for you. That music's not helping you. It's hurting you. That, that show, yeah, nah. Because of the Holy Spirit, I, I fasted from TV for like nine years. Just because I didn't, I couldn't see, I, I had been too immersed in the world. I just needed a break. Now I watch TV and I watch shows now. And some days we still fast every, twice a year from media in my family where we'll do two 21 day fasts, one in January, one in August, just to remember who's in charge of our soul. The Bible calls it self-control. I was able to, listen, listen, here's the most amazing one. I started being able to receive correction from others. Some of you are like, yep, I would need the Holy Spirit to help me do that. So that's what happens. We just start to behold and the, the internal process happens. Now, once you start beholding, the next step is you need to respond. Like I told you, the Holy Spirit began to deal with me on all those things. The next step is to respond. When you stand, when you engage, and he begins to encounter you, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. You know, he says to you, put your name where Zacchaeus is. I'm coming to your house today. Listen, what's he gonna find when he goes to your house? Yo, Zacchaeus, come over here, buddy. Hey, can I look in this closet right here? 
No, not that closet. How about under your bed? No, I stuffed every dirty thing under my bed earlier. I knew you were coming to my house. How many know what I'm talking about? Come on. How many moms have young kids? You know what I'm talking about? They're coming over. <laughs> Closets, like if you open them, they will, will, you have impending doom upon you. <laughs> you know. Sometimes we can, we can our, our, our version of holiness and righteousness can be like that. We're stuffing stuff under the bed. We're stuffing stuff in the closets. And what Jesus does is he comes into an intimate friendship with us where he puts his arm around and says, you know I'm your friend, right? Yeah, I know you love me, Jesus. You do? Yeah, good. Can I see what's in that closet? Could we not go there right now? No, I really want to go there right now. I want to go there right now. Okay. And we open that and we have this shame inside of us as we let God into our inner world. And yet, when you embrace the shame to let him in, that's where real transformation begins to happen. And it never happened in my life until then. It was when I would let him walk into the skeletons in my closet and begin to point out all the things that were keeping me from his love, that were keeping me from living for him, that were keeping me, as John Wesley puts it, worldliness is that which cools your affection for God. So that which was cooling my affection and passion for God, and I let him in. And it was the best decision I ever made. Later, he began to lead me to lead others in. And here's the most important thing. When Jesus walks up to something in your life, will you respond in a positive way? Will you trust and obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit? We live in a generation when conviction comes we try to blame everybody else for the bad choices we made. Gavin and I were watching our grandchildren. And Ari, we, 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 we'd been, you know, we, some of you have seen the legendary video of that. It's, it's, it's viral, it's viral worthy. Anyway, but Gavin and I were watching our, our, our you know, the, the, uh, Ari and um, William. And they're fun boys, but Ari had, they've been having their fair share of, you know, fruit snacks and, and, and chips and whatever. And then Ari decided he wanted this orange. So we cut it up and he, we put it in this bowl and Ari eats this orange and he looks back. I watch him, he looks back. He looks back at me. He looks back at his daddy. He goes, you made me sick. And, and like, you let me eat too much. And I, had, I told Lydia, we were just taking a walk yesterday and I said, human nature, the, the, the desire to blame everyone else for our stuff is so embedded in the human nature. We start as a child Gavin didn't put a gun to his head and make him eat those oranges. Like, were you not paying attention to the promptings of your stomach inside you telling you, if you eat anymore, you're gonna hurl? And we get into sin, we do the same thing. We get into sin and we get into struggles and things happen to us. And I've seen people and they go, God, why did you do this to me? And God's gotta be going like, the way I looked at a four-year-old going, your dad didn't do that to you. Folks, your heavenly father didn't do most of what happened to you, to you. It's bad choices you made, and it's bad choices other people made, but it most certainly isn't your heavenly father. In fact, your heavenly father's the one who can solve it. So we need to respond with that internal prompting like our stomach is telling us, hey, this type of thing you're doing makes me sick, says the Holy Spirit. Would you please stop? I wanna have a good relationship with you. We need to what? We need to respond. We need to obey the Holy Spirit's prompting on the inside. And so the Bible says today, how many of you want to hear the voice of God? Do you would like God to speak to you? The Bible says today, if you, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter three, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts like Israel did in the rebellion. 
in their trial in the wilderness. How? So what happens when you, if you want to make sure you don't hear God, just every time conviction comes, resist it. Every time conviction comes, every time Jesus wants to go into that closet, don't let him in. And you will most certainly be deaf to the voice of God. But if you will allow him, every time he prompts at something into that space inside your heart, your hearing is going to become clear. You're going to begin to have understanding. So how to get a sensitive heart? You need to honor conviction. You need to repent of sin. You need to remove all those things that are fueling the lukewarm life. Does this make sense? Third thing is to become. And in this, we want to learn the Holy Spirit's ways. John chapter 16, verse 12 through 15 says this. Jesus says this. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Listen to this. Like, I wish, I wish we could all do this. He will not speak on his own. <laughs> he won't speak on his own authority. He won't speak with his own words. He's not gonna give people a piece of his mind. He'll speak only what he hears and he'll tell you what's yet to come. He will glorify me because it's for me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father's mind, says Jesus. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. You know, I just wonder if we would just do these two things. Like, I, I had this great desire to behold, to respond, and then to become like God. But you know who's the most like God on this earth is the Holy Spirit. People, because I used to tell people, I want to become like Jesus. Well, that seems kind of far out there sometimes. Like, what's it look like to have somebody punch me on my side of the face and go, Lord bless you. And I'm like, I want to do Kung Fu on you, man. No, bless you. You know, that's what that's the Holy Spirit's working and helping us, right? So when I say I want to become like the Holy Spirit, I'm thinking of things like this. He will not speak on his own. And he'll glorify me. What if you lived, what if you lived to glorify God in your life? And what if you lived not speaking on your own? Like, what if the next time you're on social media and you just said, I be, I'm gonna behold you? Like when you're tempted to say something, that's a good time to behold. You just freeze. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a three-second beholding. Lord, I, I really want to say something. Holy Spirit, deep conviction in that gut stomach says, Nope, that's gonna be barfy. Don't do it. And you respond positively. You know what the outcome's gonna be? You're going to glorify the Lord and you're not going to have spoken on your, you will not speak on your own. And when it's time for you to speak, people will pay attention because you're not always speaking. You're looking for the right word. The Bible says like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in season. That's what we want, the right word, the right time to bring transformation. Aren't you glad? I'm so glad that when I said yes to Jesus and I began to surrender my life to Jesus, he didn't just like go after everything, open up that closet. I want it all out of here now. That's not what he did. In my life, it started with sexual immorality because probably that was the most destructive thing I was doing. So when I said yes to Jesus, he said, I want you to stop having sexual relationships with, with these women. It was a cross, it was hard, but I found grace because I was filling my heart, I was fueling my heart, I was maintaining my heart, and I was a born again creation, meaning I went from being a, a car that couldn't fly to being a plane that could fly, and I began to go down the runway as he led me I began to get altitude in those things. And I began to get conquer that sin in the flesh. He didn't go after all of it at once is what I'm saying. He went after that. Then he went after smoking. And that was like six months later. It wasn't immediate. So here I am, this Christian. I love Jesus. I'm going to Bible studies and I step out and do my smoke break right afterwards. You know, and the Bible study leaders, thankfully they loved me where I was at. They didn't say, you can't come here if you smoke, you nasty little. No, they just said, hey, God's got this in time. You keep going after God, this will change. And then later he went, after, he went after internal things like heart attitudes, pride and, and those things. And 
over time. I'm not, and I'm not, I've not arrived yet. Like the apostle Paul, I would say, I'm not arrived. I'm not perfected. I'm still pressing on that I can lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. And what he's laid hold of you for is there's gonna be a day that you stand before him and that you look at him and he's gonna look in you and he's gonna look for himself in you. He's gonna look to see if that little black, cold, hard piece of coal is burning yet. You know, the crazy thing about coal, so I, I had this moment where I was just testing the whole thing out here, my coal stove. I had the coal in here, I opened the damper up all the way. And you could hear the air going into it. You know, it's like, oh, it's kind of the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Yeah, it was going right through my damper. I could hear it. It got so hot in my basement, the candles bowed down. We had candle, candles on the walls, stick candles. They began to melt and they were like, and I was like, holy! <laughs> no, but I'll tell you what was crazy was I began to see, I never, because I opened it up all the way like that, the coal did something amazing. The, the coal rocks became clear and translucent. I could almost see through them. It was like a white, hot fire that was burning. And what happens when we put ourselves in the presence of God long enough, that blackness, that hardness, that coldness becomes hot. It's on fire, it's not cold, it's not lukewarm. You can see through it now, it's got nothing to hide because what's radiating out of it is the burning one himself, Jesus Christ. That's our destiny. That's where this is all headed. This is why you wanna live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. This is why you wanna position yourself like Zacchaeus. You wanna get in that tree. You wanna get wherever you gotta get to behold him because beholding him in relationship is where the actual change happens. Getting to heaven is not the end goal. That's the place. But it's not about the place. Heaven would not be heaven if God wasn't there. Heaven would not be heaven if Jesus Christ wasn't there. It's about the person of Jesus and it's about becoming like him. I love how the book of Revelation begins. Like, so imagine this, you're John, you have the, 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 the revelation, the prophetic vision you're having opens with one seated on the throne and all that glorious presence we talked about at the beginning. People bow down, they're worshiping thousands times, 10,000s and thousands of thousands, millions of worshipers. And you go all through the stuff, you go through all the judgments, you go through all the stuff that Revelation talks about. People have made prophecy about the end times and events happening to humans. It is not, the Bible doesn't even call it that, it calls it the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what's happening? What's all that ugly judgment process? What's all that stuff that's being poured out on the earth? Have you seen the Tim LaHaye series and all that? It has nothing to do with that. All of that is about getting the bride ready hating the spirit of the age, hating the worldliness, hating the hate as it were, so that John gets to the end of the book, John, uh, uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, he sees the vision of the bride and he falls down at the, 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 the glorified human that's walking him around heaven. He falls down at his feet to worship him. And he's like, and he, he pulls him up, don't do that. I'm of your brothers that have the testimony of Jesus. I'm, you know, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Every prophetic thing in the Bible is about Jesus. And it's about us becoming like him. And the, the crazy, so it, it opens with Jesus on a throne, radiating light, but it ends with the bride looking just like him. And he's blown away that she is pure, she's spotless, and she's white. And it says that she made herself ready. She starts dark and cold and black and hard like coal. But 
light coal that's been burning in a fire, she has begun to take on the nature of the one she's been burning in, the one that's been burning in her. You stand on your feet. If you want that to be you, if you want that to be you, you have to first offer yourself to Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's, he's the original burning one. And the only reason if you're cold or you're lukewarm in your heart today, when I say cold, I'm talking about you are apathetic to all things related to God. If you're lukewarm, you kind of care about those things, but you care about a lot of the worldly things. If you're on fire, man, you've got one, one desire. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And to the degree that we don't have that is the degree we want to surrender. I didn't start out this way, guys. I, didn't, I wasn't raised in church. You hear me talk, I don't want to hear some preacher who's judging. I'm not, I'm not that guy. I lived a life of sin. I get, I understand sinners better than I understand people who've never struggled with anything. So if that's you, I get you. And I'm telling you what changed my life. I'm telling you that if you'll surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus and invite the Holy Spirit in and begin to purpose to live under His influence, your life's gonna change. But it starts somewhere. It starts, the Bible says it starts with making a covenant with Jesus Christ. That covenant, it's kind of like a marriage covenant. That's why it refers to the church as a bride, where basically we say, Jesus, we ask you to be Lord of our life. I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. I believe you rose again. And I confess, according to your word, that if I believe that and receive that, I'll be saved, I'll be changed. That's how it begins, with sincerity. In other words, I prayed that prayer when I was eight, I didn't mean it. Meaning it actually matters. But when you mean it, when intention is there, God answers, like Zacchaeus moving into the place of the tree, God answers and says, I'm coming to your house today. And some of you need him to come to your house today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? If that's you, if you're saying, I want Jesus to come to my house today, I wanna to surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus. I have not done this yet. I have not made a covenant with Jesus. I've gone to church, but I've not made a covenant. And I need to make this covenant. If that's you today, would you raise your hand high and let me pray for you? I won't call you up, I won't embarrass you. Anybody else? Okay, if you're here today and you're saying, yeah, I've made a covenant with Jesus, but I'm still pretty cold or lukewarm and I want to enter into a place of fire and you want to ask for God to baptize you in his spirit, that's you today. Would you raise your hand high? Several of you. Okay, good. Let's pray together. Pray this with me. Let's start with just making a refreshing our covenant and then inviting the Holy Spirit. Say, God, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to forgive me for the coldness, the darkness, and the hardness of heart that's kept me from experiencing your love and your nature. Holy Spirit, I invite you to baptize me, to immerse me in holy fire until I take on the nature of Jesus Christ. It's my prayer that when I see you on judgment day, that you'll see yourself in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God thanks for those who said yes to Jesus today.